We're taking our Shake Shack burgers with us to the movies on this consumer goods edition of Industry Focus. Greetings, fools. Sean O'Reilly here at Fool Headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. It is March 8th, 2016, and joining me to talk about the Shake Shack earnings release and a big movie merger is the incomparable Vincent Shen. What's up, man? Hey, Sean. How's it going? Not too bad. Um, how much House of Cards have you watched? <laughs> I figured you would bring this up. Uh, I have only seen three episodes. I have not been three. able to, to binge my way through it quite yet, like a lot of people have. Three? Okay. Um... I won't spoil anything. Yeah, do on. not spoil anything for me or our listeners. Okay. Um, and uh, if you did not hear President Frank Underwood visit us in the studio last week, you should probably go listen to the show, which occurred on Friday. Anyway, moving on. Yes. Uh, Shake Shack, everybody's... Uh, did you read that article I wrote about them like six months ago? Okay, so I know your stance The valuation company. on this company I is I know your just... stance on this company. We can get to that, but... You know they did report a pretty right. good fourth quarter and uh, solid, you know, full year results. Well, are, are you talking about their first profit since having their IPO, Vince? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> all right. What were the results? <laughs> all right. Sure. So, um, all right. So keep in mind, everyone, that this is the fifth quarterly earnings announcement from the company since their uh, IPO, which was last January. Um, and just a reminder that the com- uh, the company priced at about twenty one dollars per share during its IPO. And then, its first day of trading, it more than doubled and closed at forty-five dollars and ninety cents. And it's been an obviously pretty volatile path since then. And as I'm sure you've enjoyed a little bit, uh, you know, it peaked at ninety-three dollars per share in May. <laughs> and I was about to ask you. I was like, it peaked out somewhere crazy. So within about four months of pricing, numbers, it hit over ninety dollars, and because it, it was it was going to be basically the next... come down. What were you saying? It was going to be the next Chipotle events. Of course, it had to go to hundred. Well, but... I don't. It, even their long term trajectory doesn't put them at that many locations. But ninety three dollars per share in May. Now they're training down to around thirty forty dollars, and. Um, the thing is, like investors who got on the ground floor, I'm sure, were sitting back and still are enjoying pretty significant gains. Right? I mean, it's almost a hundred, right? almost doubled yeah. exactly. Um, but we'll see that you know, especially with some insider selling, that you know, there obviously was right. a, a, a bubble there, so to speak. Um, so how were comps, revenues, yes. all that good? So stuff. getting to uh, down to the actual details of the release uh, with the latest round earnings, um, total revenue was up. For the quarter, about forty-seven percent to fifty-one million dollars, uh, and then specifically the Shack sales, so excluding the licensing revenue they do uh, internationally, uh, it was up forty-nine percent to forty-nine million. And earnings swung, as you mentioned, from a five cent loss per share uh, in the year ago quarter to an eight cent per share profit. And um, those are they managed to do for a fifth quarter in a row, or for their fifth release in a row, they bested Wall Street's top and bottom line forecasts. So they're five for five, you know, batting batting a thousand right now. And um, despite that, the stock's down about seven percent, eight percent before we came yeah. down to the studio. And uh, the thing is, even beyond the headline figures, I thought there was a lot to like in the press release, uh, at least for the quarter. So Steam Shack sales growth was eleven percent. 
during the holiday period. So, uh, you know, what people would generally call like same store sales growth, comparable uh, comparable store sales growth, um, and that's up from seven point two percent in the year ago period. And for the full year, same shack sales growth was thirteen point three percent, pretty incredible. And that's up from just four point one percent in twenty fourteen. Tons of improvement there. It's a lot of milkshakes. That's that's good for them. <laughs> okay. And the shack level operating profit. Uh, just about double to $53 million during the year. So, and the big thing here that I want to stress is their operating margin expanded almost five full percentage points to 28.9%. So, pretty impressive. And uh, the restaurant base grew with 13 domestic and eight international shacks open last year. So, it's about a 33% increase in their system. Uh, and that includes their first shack in Asia, open in Tokyo, actually. Did you uh, half these gains, like the operating margins and everything, did you know that half those gains actually came from their original location in Central Park in New York? I'm kidding, but that's what I think. Because <laughs> um, what? They only have like 20 some odd locations? No, Correct no. Me. Total, they have like about 84. But oh, wow. I'm it's sorry. split. Okay. It's yeah. split. Uh, 30 ish or so are international, and then the rest are, are domestic. Thinking. Okay. Um, and so, what was the guidance? Because that's arguably the reason that the stock fell because Absolutely. this company, the reason people are paying this valuation is for the growth. Well, you just heard the quarterly and the full year 2015 numbers. Pretty impressive. Same Shack sales, like, wow. But the guidance is where they're taking this hit on the chin here. So, looking forward, the company is going to be entering some new markets in 2016. Big ones are like Los Angeles and South Korea. Again, they're thinking about 13 domestic locations for new openings and then seven of their international licensed ones. And then that's what you know. What that's what I was thinking. They're going to open twenty-ish stores. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Okay. Anyway, so sorry. in terms of the guidance itself, uh, twenty sixteen revenue is expected between two hundred thirty-seven and two hundred forty-two million. So the midpoint there would represent about twenty-five point seven percent growth over twenty fifteen, whereas twenty fifteen saw sixty-one percent growth. So that deceleration, obviously, big, people are yeah. not happy about that. And um, same shack growth. Is I think this is also what really people got worried, Ooh. going from that thirteen plus percent that I mentioned earlier to between two point five and three percent. Uh, so that's below even twenty fourteen levels. That that thirteen percent number you're talking about, that's Chipotle quality. Mm -hmm. um, do you remember like some of our first episodes a year ago? I mean, we were just talking about how does Chipotle have these? They're already huge and they're having like eight percent sales. Mm -hmm. It was just absurd. Then of course they had the problems that they're running in today with. Um, I don't know cilantro poisoning, but anyway. <laughs> so, um, but this two point five, I mean, that's like yeah, it's just again, it, a good year it's, or something. It's just such a uh, a stark difference from what it was able to log last year, and that I'm sure has a lot of people worried. Um, and the thing is, though, actually, you know, these numbers were just shy of what analyst mm -hmm. estimates were for 2016. Um, so not. Actually, in terms of you know the Wall Street, the Wall Street forecast. I wonder if they wanted them to beat surprise. their estimates, or I, anyway. Oh, of course they want them, but so um, they secretly actually want them to. <laughs> so despite you know the rough year trading, you know stock like we mentioned, the stock still almost doubled from its IPO price. So the valuation, and I know this is where you harp on things sometimes. Is high. Uh, it, it trades about 5.8 times expected 2016 sales, right? Based on that guidance, and 97 times forward earnings. So I'm sorry, what was that? 97? I, I plugged my ears, but I still heard it's just that. shy of triple digits, which enjoyed for pretty much all of 2015. Um, but 
Yeah, there it's it's high. I cannot I my, deny that. I hope our audience um, heard my my sigh there. So keep in mind that's a hefty premium to most other restaurants, and that includes the full spectrum, like the traditional leaders like a McDonald's to the newer generation of like Chipotle, Choice Holdings. Like that's a premium to all of those guys, and um, with as, burgers, as you can imagine, yeah. uh, at those levels, investors, you know, that's driven by really high growth. Um, either top or bottom line or both, and so for them to have this outlook for 2016, things slowing down, it doesn't surprise me that the stock's trading down, and that investors should be concerned or you know thinking about where that valuation comes into play or where it comes back into more reasonable levels. Um, and I think a really another another really bearish signal uh, for investors was you know third and fourth quarters last year, even continuing through the the first few months of 2016, a lot of insider selling. Uh, it seems like uh, you know a lot of these bigger uh, shareholders, kind of, they know where the stock potentially <laughs> is going, and they're cashing out now. So it's definitely a concern. And uh, you know, on a positive note, I will say that the company's in a pretty strong uh, position to invest in their uh, global growth plans for new restaurants. Um, they've said. There's 84 stores currently. They had previously stated goal of about 450 restaurants as their uh, mm, you know, for the for yeah. the system, and uh, their cash balance jumped from less than three million dollars to over 70 million seventy million dollars last year. So you know, definitely lots of money to to put into these new locations. I wonder how much of that came from the IPO proceeds, kind of sort of maybe. Mm, I don't know. I don't uh, recall. My big complaint, and when did I write that article? Google Motley Fool Sean O'Reilly. Shake Shack, if you want, listeners. Um, my big thing is, uh, as our listeners may or may not be aware, be aware I have very uh, simple food tastes. I have a very Midwestern palate. Yes. Um, Vince, I'm sure can. <laughs> I give I give Sean a lot of grief because he sometimes I think eats things a little too plain. You gotta adventure out a little bit more. With there, you. there is nothing I love more than. Cheeseburger and fries. Mm-hmm. I consider myself a cheeseburgers and fries connoisseur. And do you enjoy a Shake Shack burger? And this fries? is just it. Shakes, amazing. Burgers, awesome. Fries, great. All. I mean, it's a little pricey, but it's fine. Um, you know, you're probably getting what you pay for. My thing is, um, there is no food that is more commoditized in the United States of America than burgers and fries. I can go get a burger and fries. I don't know. We could go to the Italian deli. We could go to the trademark bar up the road. We could go. I can think of probably five places I can get a burger and just fries within a few blocks. Within five minutes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The advantage, the competitive advantage that Shake Shack offers is vastly imperial, like a Chipotle, which they they seem to got the. Well, Shake Shack has the fast casual Shake Shack has thing going it for has them. its brand power right now, and the fact that it's very, very popular. Its location, you know, its new location openings are known to have lines out the door and down right. the block. And when you have that kind of that kind of consumer, you know, diner following, it it, it definitely helps and contributed to, I'm sure, a lot of the hype with the stock price hitting ninety plus dollars last right. year. So I'm not, you know, there's definitely no discounting the fact that they are like king of the heap right now in terms of burger world. Um, but enough to justify where they're trading. Do at you do you think that outlook. like an LA location, which I'm glad they're doing that because that's obviously a natural jump. But do you think an LA location can get anywhere close to the um, the revenues of their original location in Central Park? Because I understand that that one's like. 
Yeah, but the, that's, uh, that's tough to call because there's like a, you know that has such a storied history. You know, because it was like a, it was literally a shack in Central Park. It that's was like, it, it started to, as like a hot dog cart. Yeah, and so you know when I lived in New York, everybody talked about Shake Shack, and this was before the IPO. Mm. It was you know this New York play, this very New York centric like. Right. Uh, it had that feel to it. It was very very popular. They've been able to I think replicate a lot of that worldwide, but. I don't know. Okay. All right. Well, before we move on, I wanted to point our listeners to the newly redesigned focus.fool.com. There you can take advantage of a discount on the Motley Fool Stock Advisor newsletter that works out to $129 for a full two-year subscription. Once again, that is focus.fool.com. And moving on, um, I'm going to prove once again how green I am. Uh, AMC is buying a theater chain that I had not heard of, and I'm really sorry. Carmike, how I'm big surprised. are they? Uh, they're I, the number four operator, actually. They are. Yeah. Is it a West Coast thing? I, it's, I think it's more so South Southeast region, okay. which actually, uh, as we'll get to, pairs really well. Oh, it with does. AMC. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, let's dive in. What are the details? Sure. So last Thursday, uh, AMC Entertainment Holdings, uh, they're the number two theater chain uh, by screen count, that is, at least. They announced they'd be acquiring Carmike Cinemas. Uh, uh, number four chain, uh, and this was is they're going to join up to beat out number one, who's currently Regal. Uh, See, I'm a Regal man. Grew up <laughs> to create the largest theater chain worldwide. And just uh, so our listeners know, the number three player for in, is actually Cinemark. So the CEO of AMC's is pretty new. He took the reins in January. His name's Adam Aaron. Uh, he came from Starwood Hotels and Resorts, and he's already making his mark. Like mm-hmm. he took over, like I said, just what two months ago, a little over. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently, there were two previous attempts for AMC and Carmike to do a deal. I think it was over the past four years, but they always fell through. Wow! But you know, was it, he made it happen. In your research, did was it a price question? Like, why did it fall through? That many I'm not times? sure. Really I think there were some concerns that we'll get to. Uh, around the deal, but the, I think it's really driven by the new CEO and also the owners of AMC, which we'll get to. So The purchase price was $30 per share, about a 20% premium to where Carmark stock closed before the announcement. So, Including debt assumption, uh, the deal value comes out to about $1.1 billion. And uh, AMC, is, I thought this was an interesting metric, is paying about three hundred paying about $376,000 per screen. And uh, you that know, sound right? I'm picturing. Yeah. On you know, that note, uh, AMC currently operates about f- uh, 5,400 screens. So adding the approximately 3,000 Carmack has will give it a base of over 8,000 screens in over 600 theaters in 45 states. So you know, huge, you know, yeah. uh, countrywide operation. And then. In terms of uh, you know the deal's effect on, on on the two companies, they expect it to be creative to clash cash flow right off the bat, and the combined company they think will enjoy about thirty five million dollars in annual cost synergies. And as you would expect, really similar operations. They're seeing that in accounting, finance, technology, and they're also seeing some benefits with their negotiations. Right, they're now uh, that's, the largest that theater was where chain. I was gonna go. They get to push their negotiations negotiations yeah. a little harder in terms of the revenue sharing with a lot of the major Good. studios, and. Um, you know, investors seem pretty happy with the deal. Uh, obviously, Carmike shares traded up uh, on the offer to closer mm-hmm. to the offer price, and uh, AMC shares are up over ten percent since announcing the That's deal. That's pretty rare mm-hmm. to see an acquirer it's rise. Ra- I think a lot of people are are very positive because of how complimentary their 
their networks are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have AMC, which is generally more focused in urban areas in the Northeast, and then you have Carmike, and maybe this is why you're not as familiar with yeah. it, is more focused on like rural, small town, suburban areas in the Southeast. So you put the pair I do them not together, make it to small town. I do not make it to small town Florida. As, well, as yeah, the I first show. time I had ever seen a Carmike theater was when I was uh, still at UVA in Charlottesville. Got it. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, like I said, AMC shares up over 10% since announcing the deal. So, investors seem pretty bullish and happy. Uh, but not not to say there aren't going to be some challenges and other things to keep right. in mind. And I think uh, it's really good here to have some background in industry color in terms of where the theater industry, uh, the, the theater sector or the operators have been mm-hmm. uh, overall. So, you know, first of all, you got to recall that China's Dalian Wanda Group, so it's run by the richest man in China, his name's Wang Jianlin. Uh, he acquired AMC in 2012 for 2.6 billion dollars, and since then, it, it's been pretty clear he's trying to like expand his influence over entertainment, you know, worldwide. Because, um, you know, Wanda is already the largest theater operator worldwide. They already own the largest theater chain in China, so that this now gives them the largest right. theater chain in the U.S. as well. So they got this nice. Fill that portfolio there, and um, you know they're moving really aggressively with more consolidation. So they bought, they announced a deal to acquire Legendary Entertainment a few months ago for three point five billion dollars. And keep in mind that AMC also acquired Starplex Cinemas last year for about one hundred and seventy million dollars. Tons of consolidation in the industry, and that's probably just because of some like higher level trends. I think with consumers and entertainment. Um, fact of the matter is, there's. A lot of these new options, be it streaming services, and just taking, I think, over away in terms of entertainment options from movie theaters. Like people have a lot of choices now on a Friday mm-hmm. night for what they want to do, and uh, you know, for the industry wide, the number of screens and ticket sales have have fluctuated significantly over the past decade or two. They've been stagnant or declining too, and um, I feel like within the U.S. The these theater chains and this industry—it's like a perfect example of a saturated market. So these companies have been forced, like you know, the only way they can achieve better scale is either through some of these consolidating deals, mm-hmm. or they've been trying to boost uh, their results with a lot of these new amenities. So I think what's come up in the past, like 10, 15 years, IMAX, 3D—you have the popular lounge chairs, these lounge <laughs> chairs—and then I see like way bigger menus now. I feel like at the concession stand where it used. To be popcorn, candy, soda. Well, now you have also have like much more substantial food. Think like wings, chicken tenders. I see fries, even like burgers sometimes at some of these theaters. So, and bars sometimes. Exactly. So bar service too. What, um, I, I I I had known this for a while, but you know we talked about it in uh, like six eight months ago when we did our uh, original theater show. Um, what percentage of revenues and profits for theaters comes from the concession stands? Because it's like. All their money. So basically. yeah. So we mentioned the revenue sharing deals that they have with these major studios. So the thing is, you know, the the margins that they get from their concessions, I think at least double what they get from the. They're charging sales. eight dollars for popcorn. Exactly. That costs ten cents. So <laughs> you know, you can see how important that is, and you can see how they've uh, how they're innovating. You know, in that space mm-hmm. by expanding this menu. I, I personally, as a moviegoer, in terms of the viewing experience, don't necessarily appreciate when like somebody walks in and I it's like smells like fried chicken in the theater, <laughs> and I can hear the meeting. But at the same time, you know, I can understand that 
you know, with with this kind of saturated market, they're they're pushing with these lounge chairs and these other offerings to try and boost attendance. And uh, you know, this deal itself is, in my view, also not necessarily certain, just because there is going to be a lot of uh, oversight and um, you know review by regulatory authorities. And the fact that yeah, yeah, it, you know, ran down from four to three. For the bigger players and uh, just the size of it, uh, I think a lot of investors are expecting the combined entity to have to shed some theaters in order for the deal to go through. Got it. Cool. All right. Well, thank you for your thoughts, Vince. Thanks, John. Have a great day. If you're a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Again, that is industryfocus at fool.com. As always, people in this program may have interest in the stocks that they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have interest in these stocks. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear in this program. For Vincent Shen, I'm Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening and Fool on.